The United States broke many of its conditions of its treaties, despite vows to safeguard Native American sovereignty. What came next was a succession of different political eras that either increase or decrease that sovereignty. In the summer of 1968, the Native American activists Dennis Banks, George Mitchell, and Clyde Belcourt gathered hundreds of like-minded individuals in Minneapolis, Minnesota, armed with the ultimate goal of forcing the United States to recognize Native American sovereignty. The activists formed the Native American Movement Group, AIM, and we will be talking more about them in a minute. But according to the Native American Movement official website, the movement's objective included the U.S. government's acceptance of Native American treaties as well as other objectives including sovereignty and the defense of Native American rights. In an effort to alter American policy, AIM has filed numerous successful lawsuits against the federal government over the past 50 years in an effort to achieve these goals. The story of an unbeatable man who valiantly and fearlessly waged a relentless battle to secure the fundamental rights that should belong to all is a testament to the power of one's individual, unwavering determination to uphold the basic rights that should be available to all. His efforts were marked by courage and an unshakable belief in the inherent worth of every individual. Through his journey, he challenged oppressive systems, prejudice, and forged a path towards a brighter future. His selfless act of defiance inspired countless others to join the noble cause, igniting a spark of hope and unity within the hearts of those who yearn for a change. His legacy deserves a reminder that the struggle for basic rights is a continuous journey, one that requires commitment, boundless compassion, and the audacity to challenge the status quo. This is that story. he began his daily routine. The familiar scent of cigarette smoke filled the dimly lit room. Sitting at his table, he was always surrounded by his loyal companions. Their presence bring a sense of comfort and familiarity to his day. The rhythmic crashing of waves against the rocks and the stuttering hum of a backup generator provided a persistent backdrop to his routine. But on this particular night, something was different. With a composed voice. He began to speak over a shaky radio connection that was broadcasting from an unbelievable location, Alcatraz Island. Despite the challenges of the connection, he remained steadfast, delivering his message with conviction. As he spoke, the entire country was listening, captivated by his words and the gravity of the situation. It was a moment that would be remembered for years to come. A defining moment in history that showcased the power of preservation and the importance of standing up for what is right. Over a dozen tapes containing the word Alcatraz on them are stored in the Pacifica Radio Archives in North Hollywood, and they date from December 1969 to August 1970. 
These tapes were aired directly from the former prison. From a cramped cell with no heat and just a lone generator rumbling in the background for power. These records weren't just about Alcatraz. They were also aired from the actual former prison from a tiny cell. John Trudell, a Native American activist and broadcaster, hosted the Radio Free Alcatraz program. One of the FBI's most feared activists, Trudell had a file that eventually grew to be more than 1,000 pages long. And in 1973, he had become one of the FBI's most dreaded activists. After being seen speaking over the roar of the waves with a calm Midwestern accent. But why did the FBI research a broadcaster speaking from a rocky island, mile offshore, and create its longest dossier? Trudell promoted Native American independence, emphasizing to all Americans the moral and political significance of it. He exposed the government's abuse of Native American rights, including restricting access to fishing grounds, charging costs for tribal properties, and pulling Native American kids out of neighboring neighborhood schools. He also envisioned a time when all American cultures would live in harmony with one another. Over 100,000 listeners would tune in to Trudell's weekly show on Pacifica stations in California, Texas, and New York, demonstrating its popularity in non-Native American populations. Trudell, who was only 23 years old, had a voice that the FBI could not silence. A group of Native American activists known as the Indians of All Tribes, the IOAT, started fighting against centuries of injustice by attempting to recapture empty islands in the autumn of 1969. This is where Trudell's story begins. The group cited for Fort Laramie Treaty of 1868, which called for the restoration of all extra-federal land to aboriginal tribes. Alcatraz, a symbolic lighthouse, just past the Golden Gate Bridge, caught the Indians of all tribes' attention. Since President Kennedy closed the federal penitentiary in 1963, it had been vacant and waiting for Trudell. The Indians of all tribes wanted to establish a president for the recovery of hundreds of thousands of unclaimed acres around the United States by occupying the 12 acres of Alcatraz. But of course, the hawkish government was a barrier. The Coast Guard prevented the Indians of all tribes from getting to Alcatraz every time they tried, including once when they tried to swim. On November 20th, 79 activists representing over 20 tribes sailed from Sausalito across the chilly water to Alcatraz. Alcatraz's lone keeper could be heard yelling, Mayday! Mayday! Indians have arrived! The response from the government was slow in spite of his calls. The ancient jail barracks were transformed into dwellings for the gathering that night, and food was hauled in from fishing nets. Then, when they noticed the words Go Indians glowing through the fog in bright yellow Morse code, onshore allies realized the landing had been successful. The children of the activists scrambled about the edges of their new home on Alcatraz while they were gleaming with excitement. John Trudell was not on these initial voyages. At the time, he had just returned home from deployment in Vietnam and enrolled in San Bernardino Valley's college and moved in with his girlfriend at the time. And this is when he had the urge to join in when he heard about the arrival on Alcatraz. So, him and his girlfriend prepared their sleeping bags, traveled six hours to the north, and took a journey across the Emerald Bay 
on one of the Indians of All Tribes vessel, many of which were regularly used for cargo and fishing. They would be joining them in only a matter of weeks. The activist strategy of gathering a significant number of people on the island and demonstrating to the country why it was rightfully theirs had been successful. Federal officials prohibited the Coast Guard from interfering with these excursions out of concern for a backlash from the public. Trudell, who was present at the Daily Island gatherings of the IOAT officials and tribe chiefs, emphasized the need to change the narrative if Native Americans were to successfully argue for their right to reclaim abandoned land. Instead of reclaiming what was taken from the Native Americans, he had seen articles in major newspapers like the New York Times and the San Francisco Chronicles that painted the occupation as a Native American heist. Trudell returned to San Bernito to get supplies before going back to the island. His response would spread the invaders' message across the nation and alter how Americans perceived the atrocities done to Native people. He questioned himself how the tribes could effectively communicate and spread their message. Then on December 22nd, 1969 at 10pm, John Trudell made a radio broadcast to the entire world. Good evening, and welcome to Radio Free Alcatraz. This is John Trudell, welcoming you on behalf of the Indians of all tribes, from Indian land, Alcatraz Island. Trudell performed 30-minute interviews with indigenous activists and spiritual figures, many of whom resided on the island. It's been a hassle lately with our electricity. We had a power failure on Friday. We didn't have any power at all. And Saturday, we were stranded on the island because of bad weather. Trudell was not only a broadcaster. He was also a pioneer of what is now known as a strategic communications. He was aware for activists to succeed, they had to influence social perception. However, things would soon get increasingly difficult on the island. The 13-year-old daughter of Richard Oakes, one of the movement's founders, died after falling from a third-story window on January 5, 1970, barely six weeks into the occupation. Oakes departed from the island in agonizing pain. The child's passing and his departure came as a shock to the community, which was rife with internal conflict and was getting more chaotic as rumors spread that the U.S. Marshals might attack the island at any moment. But Trudell remained firm. The occupation had been going on for more than a year when plans to end it were made by the federal government in 1971. They stopped all radio services and turned off the electricity on the island in late May, putting an end to Trudell's broadcast. As it grew harder to acquire water, the population of the island shrank. Within the group, power battles and factions started to emerge. Some members wanted to hire an attorney to defend their position. Others, like Trudell, thought the only truthful course of action was to represent themselves. 
There were only 15 individuals left on Alcatraz when government authorities attacked the island on June 11th, and as a result, the occupation was formally over. Trudell, however, was only getting started. The FBI would be his next opponent. After the occupation, Tina Manning, a well-known Native American activist, and Trudell fell in love. Trudell later rose to the position of chairman and national spokesperson for the Native American movement, the AIM. Following their 1972 marriage ceremony, they frequently traveled and spoke together. Trudell, meanwhile, inspired AIM through demonstrations, most notably the 1973 effort to retake Wounded Knee Village from tribal chairman Richard Wilson, who was renowned for repressing political opponents and failing to act in the best interests for the tribe. At Wounded Knee, the scene of the massacre of Native Americans by U.S. Cavalry in 1890, which has now gained symbolic significance, was where thousands of people gathered, as well as federal marshals and the FBI. And the conflict proved to be fatal. Although Trudell was a pacifist at heart and frequently used the phrase, the natural world has a right to exist, and we are only a small part of it. In his speeches in 1970s, all the wrongs committed against the indigenous tribes in those years drove him over the edge. In 1975, he entered a trade post on a reservation to buy food for elderly elders when he was stopped for assault. Additionally, he torched the American flag outside the J. Edgar Hoover building on February 11, 1979, as part of a demonstration against the Bureau of Indian Affairs. On the Duck Valley Indian Reservation in Nevada, Tina Manning Trudell was sound asleep at home with their three kids the following night. The smell of flames and a pounding at the door woke her up. The home was ablaze. It was too late to run, however. All three of their young children, Richard Starr, Sunshine Karma, and Ellie Changing Sun, as well as Tina, who was also expecting at the time, died. He was at a loss for words, and all that was left were his furious suspicions, which included the notion that the FBI was to blame for the fire and that they were now looking for him. I died then, Trudell said. I had to die in order to get through it, and if I can get through it, then maybe I would learn how to live again. Following this, he vanished from public view and then drove across America in despair alone. Below par compared to the rest of the population. But we've got a bigger point than that. We're saying, uh, we're talking about law. We're talking about respect as a people. Respecting a people as a people. We're talking about, about more than poverty. We're talking about honor. We're saying, you've never dealt with us honorably, United States, uh, ever. If you live white, then that doesn't really make you an Indian. And we're concerned about people, the reservation people, the people on the reservations that, that are being forced to assimilate or die out. We're worried about things like our language and our culture. And we want this on our own terms. We don't want it, we don't want to be able to hang on to it because the federal government says we can keep this much and we can keep that much. Trudell died on December 8, 2015. He was in the last stages of terminal cancer. 
and one of his final messages were about celebrating life and love. That will conclude today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to Bizarre Conspiracies. If you want to email me or Conrad, you can do so at bizarreconspiracies at gmail.com. That's one word, bizarreconspiracies at gmail.com. Again, thank you so much for listening. And as always, I will catch you in the next episode. Thank you.